Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some wonderful people helping us along the way. In 2006, Tarana Burke coined the phrase Me Too as a way to help women who had survived sexual violence feel like they were not so alone. A year ago this week, actress Alyssa Milano reignited Me Too with a tweet that stated, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write Me Too as a reply to this tweet. This was in the wake of accusations against movie mogul Harvey Weinstein and other powerful men in Hollywood. Since then, Me Too has become a movement among women who have been sexually harassed. Since then, a great deal of reports have come out, and Me Too has gained great traction among adults. But what about the teens? How are they experiencing sexual harassment and violence? Believe it or not, 7 out of 10 girls experience sexual harassment, and alarmingly, 1 in 4 will experience sexual assault or abuse before she turns 18. A recently released survey of young girls reveals that 3 out of 4 girls between the ages of 14 and 19 feel unsafe at least once in a while. At the root of this problem are limiting and harmful messages about how girls and boys should behave and be treated, messages that shape these impressionable minds and stick with them as they enter adulthood. As a response, and in honor of this one-year anniversary of this week, Girls, Inc., a nonprofit organization that inspires all girls to be strong, smart, and bold through direct service and advocacy, along with its amazing network of girls and partners, are launching the Girls 2 campaign. The campaign will focus on sexual harassment and assault in the lives of youth, particularly girls, with actions aimed at addressing the norms and stereotypes that fuel these behaviors. To discuss how to talk to girls about sexual harassment and how to talk to boys about sexual harassment and what we can do to ensure that all of our young people are educated, safe, respected, and valued, we have Lara Kaufman and Dr. Christia Spears-Brown on the show today. Lara Kaufman is Director of Public Policy for Girls, Inc., where she leads the organization's work to advance girls' rights and opportunities and empower girls to advocate for social change. Prior to joining Girls, Inc., Ms. Kaufman was Senior Counsel and Director of Education Policy for At-Risk Students at the National Women's Law Center, where she engaged in litigation, advocacy, and outreach to improve educational outcomes for at-risk girls and young women. She is a graduate of University of Michigan and Northwestern University School of Law. Dr. Christia Spears-Brown is a professor of developmental and social psychology at the University of Kentucky and the director of the Center of Equality and Social Justice. Her research focuses on children's experiences with discrimination and the development of gender and ethnic stereotypes. As part of her research, she examines the perpetration and acceptance of sexual harassment among adolescents and the consequences of sexual objectification of girls and toxic masculinity among boys. She also works to translate her work for both public policy and parents. Her book, titled Parenting Beyond Pink and Blue, How to Raise Your Kids Free of Gender Stereotypes, describes research on gender development and offers guidance for parents for reducing the impact of gender stereotypes on their children. I am so excited about this interview, and I'm really excited to have two fabulous, strong, bold women on the show. So welcome, Lara and Christia, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. This is a really important time. I'd love to start with you, Christia. For those who haven't met you or read your book, what got you so interested in reducing gender stereotypes in children, and how has this connected you to wanting to tackle sexual harassment and sexual assault among girls? 
Well, I mean, I started in graduate school really studying how gender impacts children's development um, and really thinking about, you know, at the beginning, thinking about how it impacts academics, the really kind of old-fashioned stereotypes, and then the ones related to things like STEM. But then when you start talking to middle school girls in the process of doing research over the years as a developmental psychologist, you realize what's really impacting them in so many powerful, salient, everyday ways is this culture of sexual objectification and a sexual harassment that's happening really every day just in the hallways of school. And so I really began to be interested in this is really what gender stereotypes and gender discrimination looks like now. It's less the old-fashioned girls can't be smart. Am I, you know, that partly goes on, but really it's this that girls should be objectified and sexy and they should be have comments made about their bodies and that, that they should just be happy with it um, and that this is just what boys are supposed to do and if boys don't do it, they get teased too. And this is what every girl... Even if they're not in the moment the target of it, they recognize it. It's part of the culture in middle schools and high schools. And until we start to really focus on it, no girl's going to be able to grow up to be her best self. Mm, mm, really important information, and I agree with that. Lara, before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you or be part of your organization or its initiatives, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you and Girls Inc. so interested in sexual harassment and creating this Girls 2 movement? Well, I have been doing women's rights and girls' rights advocacy for about 10 years now. Um, I'm an attorney by training and have always been passionate about this issue and got an opportunity to work on education policy from a girl's perspective um, when I was at the National Women's Law Center. And I came to Girls, Inc., in part because of the organization's commitment to really growing our advocacy work and getting girls themselves involved in the work, because that's so key. Mm -hmm. And the girls are really the best experts of their own experiences. They know what they're, what they're experiencing. About two years ago, uh, before um, the Harvey Weinstein news broke, um, a year before, we surveyed all of our girls and their families and our affiliates, and we asked, what are the top issues you're most concerned about for girls? And this was by far the number one issue. Sexual harassment and sexual violence is something that almost all girls are either experiencing or are acutely aware of, and it has a huge impact on their lives. So we knew we were going to have to do something big on this subject, and we've spent the last two years talking with girls about it, talking with um, partner organizations, um, watching the way the Me Too movement really exploded about a year ago when, when the hashtag went viral, and and observing the external environment, and that's really what, what got us to this point. Mm -hmm. It's a really important movement, and I like that you're getting these girls so involved at early ages. One of the arguments that is made when people talk about sexual harassment, and this certainly has come up in, in recent months and weeks, um, is that, you know, there's a lot of hormones in the teenage years and boys are just being boys and there really is no harm in this sort of banter or behavior. So, Christia, what do you say about this boys will be boys argument? And can you tell us how sexual harassment does indeed affect girls? There's a lot of research that's been going on really the past 20 years that shows the second part of that question is much easier to answer in that we know girls are more likely to be depressed, be anxious, have insomnia and trouble sleeping, have stomach aches and headaches. Um, they're more likely to have poor body image that's going to be related to developing eating disorders. They're more likely to do worse in school and want to avoid school the more they experience sexual harassment. So really in every way that we can measure it, whether it be physical or psychological or social or academic, we see girls, the more they experience sexual harassment, the worse they're doing on all these facets of their lives. Now, it is tricky. I think this is partly why it's been perpetuated and why schools, for example, often don't deal with this well or parents don't talk about it much is there is the issue of hormones and people are starting to show sexual interest in one another. And that's all really a normal part of growing up. 
And so part of what we have to do is be mindful of how can we teach boys how to show sexual interest in ways that aren't harming girls, mm. right? It's perfectly normal to want to date girls um, and want to show interest in them. That's part of high school. But yet there have to be ways to do that that's not leading to so much damage for girls in ways that they can really never recover from. Mm, really important and just to follow that up when you are talking about it what would you hope that parents offer or teachers offer or sex ed instructors offer as options for boys to express their interest in a girl that would not make them feel uncomfortable and certainly wouldn't approach sexual harassment I think most of what they do now, it's really about objectifying the girl. So a lot of what sexual harassment is, is making comments about their body parts or rating mm. their body parts. Um, it's asking for sexy or naked photos on their phones or online. It is making comments, the kind of cat calling to them in the hallways. So partly it's teaching boys that there is damage that's being um, that's happening when they do these types of behaviors. I think most boys are not doing it because they realize it's harming the girls. Mm-hmm. And so for one, it's just teaching boys that this, this is what the effect is when you make a person only their body parts and you're not talking to them as real people as how you would want your friends to be talked to. Mm-hmm. So the second one is really helping them to humanize the girl instead of objectifying her, to see her as a person who can be scared or uncomfortable and pay attention to, is she happy by what you're saying? Or is this how you would want to be um, talked to or how you want your sister be, to be talked to? Um, and it's mm. also helping boys realize that um, I think the degree to which this is causing damage may not be what they're intending, but that's still what the impact is. Um, so helping boys realize how to support one another. About when you see another guy saying this, what can you say back? Because so much of this is fostered within and boys peer groups. And so helping them hold each other accountable is also part of this. Right. Like, dude, that's not cool. Kind exactly. of say something else. Yes. Okay. So I, I, I like what you're saying here. And just to put high beams on one of the things that you said is that we really need to teach boys how to humanize girls and make sure that their statements um, are referring to the whole person and if they're interested in the whole person that and they're interested in dating the whole person that to express that interest and and ask a girl out on a date or you know even say I'd like to get to know you better is much different than uh, making comments about different body parts that can certainly make people feel uncomfortable. So this humanizing and this whole person idea I think is is really important. Laura, from your experience with the girls throughout Girls, Inc., since you are on that ground level, what have you seen personally with regard to how girls cope with sexual harassment and how how they're really affected by it? Well, sadly, girls learn early on to keep quiet about it, and I think that that's something we see a lot. So um, either they report it to an adult and the adult writes it off as, you know, boys being boys or ignores it, doesn't do anything about it. Or in some cases, we're hearing girls are actually being punished for coming forward with this information because the school is penalizing them for engaging in sexual conduct on school grounds, let's say, um, rather than trying to get them the help that they need. So, So girls get these messages, not only that they have to put up with it, but also that there's no point in coming forward. No one's going to believe you. You might actually get blamed for it. And that starts young, and um, and, and that's harmful because girls won't get, you know, mental health counseling if that's what they need. They certainly won't get academic support or even just be able to process this with their peers or others. And they somehow blame themselves and think that there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. So that's something really concerning. It is concerning and certainly will curb their interest in saying anything. You know, they're staying quiet and they're not getting the help that they need. And when they're, they are expressing something, they're also 
often not getting the help that they need and actually it's it's um, flying in their face in a negative way. So again, reinforces the idea of being quiet. So that certainly does need to change. And, and maybe the message there is really, you know, adults open your ears and really listen. And if you're not the right person for this girl to be talking to, um, make sure you're the bridge to get her to the right person to, to get the help she needs. And it's not just a, a disciplinary issue when you're hearing about this. This is way beyond that. This is something that can have mental health repercussions, as Christia was saying. Right. So, so would you say, Christia, would you say that sexual harassment is something that's preventable among adolescents? Is this an uphill battle? Is this a losing battle? Is it something that we can do anything about at this point? Well, I think, is it an uphill battle? Yes. Is it still a preventable um, issue? I think yes. I do think this involves a culture change. Mm. Um, I think one thing that's important about like this girls to campaign that girls Inc is doing is really saying this is, we have to really change the culture. So this isn't a one-off let's have, you know, the one conversation about this once a year. It is, we have to really rethink the value that girls and women have um, and start respecting their like lived experience. And I think that level of deep cultural change is possible. I mean, we've seen massive cultural change in society over time. Um, and so that's definitely possible. I think we really, you know, what we really are lacking is just the will to do it. And so it's partly because it's, it is so ubiquitous and it is so present in schools, but I think raising awareness that it matters and that it's not um, a necessary part of adolescent interactions is the first step. And I think it's going to take a lot of conversations. You know, we're going to have to have a lot more education in schools as part of sex ed about what is consent, what is sexual harassment. We're going to have to treat it like we do bullying. You know, there's all schools now have a zero tolerance bullying policies. Almost all schools do. Um, but they don't ever talk about sexual harassment, assault, or consent. And so we really have to make people more comfortable with this conversation. Um, I think now is a great time in society because it's definitely, you know, the reason these things have taken off on social media is I think all women can relate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us know what it feels like or saw friends that go through this. If we weren't sexually assaulted, we were definitely sexually harassed. And if we mm-hmm. weren't, our closest friends were. And so I think all of us feel a little, you know, as women feel a little raw and um, vulnerable about this topic right now. And so I think if we can really channel that energy to have really thoughtful conversations, because I think men also have to come to the conversation too. And I think they're finally starting to pay attention as the me too and the girls too, you know, you start to realize this is a really normal experience that is damaging and that just because it's common doesn't mean it's inevitable and it doesn't mean it's not harmful. And so I think, being able to separate out just because we know that it happens, we can still try to change it. Like we have lots of other things over time. You know, it's interesting. One of the things you're saying is that, you know, we have to have a lot of conversations about this, but it's a very sensitive topic and it can feel really difficult to broach. It can feel difficult to discuss. How do you typically advise parents to help their girls be both knowledgeable about sexual harassment and what they should tolerate and be assertive and and forthright about when it's happening. What do you, what do you typically say to parents about that? Since it feels sort of one of the, even though it's so common, it feels almost taboo to discuss at times. So I think part of it is having conversations, you know, really the idea is to start having these conversations from the very beginning, but pointing out the times you see women being sexually objectified, whether it be a Hardy's commercial or a sitcom, um, the helping girls recognize that value in being sexually objectified is actually damaging and that they're much more important than their sexual body parts. Those conversations can really happen early on, because it's really not about sex. It's about this objectification and what's valuable about girls. 
Then as I think puberty starts to approach, and we know in middle school sexual harassment really starts to peak, talking to girls about what sexual harassment is, to say this really isn't normal when this happens, and if it does, what can you do? And to have a game plan of who are adults at school that you feel comfortable reporting this to. Um, talk to me. So, you know, our, some of our research shows that girls that have emotionally supportive mothers are more likely to seek out support after sexual harassment. So talking about the messages of feminism and that girls should be treated equally to boys. Um, but I think really having a script in mind for if a boy says this to you, what can you say back? And knowing that girls have social pressures, right? So there's Girls don't want to say something back often because they know that'll just exacerbate the teasing or the harassment. And so keeping in mind what their real realities are like when they're at school and what can they say that's going to be realistic, that they're really going to be able to do. And so giving them really concrete things that this is who you talk to, this is what you say, this is how you can respond. Um, and then the broader issues of, this is what society is saying about girls, but I want you to know that we know that's a stereotype and that's not really what girls are about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So Lara, do you find that girls are knowing how to cope with sexual harassment when it's happening? Do they feel powerless or are their parents talking to them about this or has it remained a taboo subject? What are you, what are you finding among the girls? I think it has remained a taboo subject. Obviously, there are exceptions, but the rule still is, um, you know, maybe, maybe if you're going to talk with your kids about sex, you, you wait until they're at an age where it might be appropriate for them to even be engaging in sexual activity and not before then. And that's a problem. We need to start, as Dr. Brown said, from a very young age, talking about respect, talking about consent, what that looks like, um, and we need kids to know that this is something that's okay to talk about. Um, I think, I think girls, um, they're not getting encouragement to speak up for themselves on this issue. Um, and as I mentioned before, they're getting blamed a lot when things like this happen. Um, people are especially critical of what girls wear and how it might be encouraging boys without even thinking about the fact that these are the clothes that are, you know, being sold for girls in our society. So um, we really should flip that script. But I don't think a lot of parents are talking about it. I know schools are not talking about it with youth. Girls who go to Girls Inc. are getting opportunities to talk about this because we do programming with them on healthy relationships, on violence and harassment and being bold, you know, we inspire girls, we like to say, to be strong, smart, and bold. And this is definitely part of being bold, is recognizing that this is not okay and speaking up. But I think, sadly, many, many girls are not not getting that kind of encouragement. I want to talk a little bit about these scripts that we, we both of you sort of referred to, because, of course, with this podcast, we're all about scripts. So I'd like to kind of get into that a little bit more. Um, what do you, and it could be to either one of you, but when we're talking about talking back to the boys when they are saying things that make us feel uncomfortable. So, you know, they're, they're making comments about a girl's body or they're suggesting some kind of sexual act, whatever they may be saying that's making a girl feel uncomfortable. What are you telling girls or what should we be telling girls to say in that moment to help shut it down? That's not going to have a social repercussion as you were discussing before, Christia. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it, honestly, I don't think that there's a right answer. I think it depends on the individual teen's personality and what they're comfortable doing. You know, I think I'm the mom of two daughters who have very different personalities. And what would be effective for one would not be effective for the other. Um, and so I think partly it is making a joke about it in a way that's still also very serious sometimes helps, for, particularly for one of my daughters. Um, um, so I think it's hard to make a grand moral statement 
about injustice in the hallway of a middle school or high school. But to say, hey, dude, that's not cool. Just to do something that kind of calls it out. Mm-hmm. Um, or to say things that are more in the vernacular of adolescence and not in the vernacular of their parents who are sure. much older. Um, so I think it's talking to kids about what do you think would work if you said this? So you tell me, what do you think? And then really have the kid brainstorm and then help them practice that so that they get more confident in what it is they would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, you know, for me, my approach is always to somewhat make a joke about it. But to make a joke in a, hey, dude, that's that's sexual harassment, man. Like, so that you're telling them to stop, but in a, I'm saying it in a softer way, but I'm still very clear on my meaning. That mm-hmm. works for my personality. And so I think partly it depends on each kid's personality. Um, but I think that's the key with all of this is to be really mindful of these are individual girls that this is affecting and everyone's going to handle it slightly differently and everyone's going to need something different in that moment. Um, and so, you know, for parents of girls and for boys to have real intimate conversations with their kids about what's going on at school. Has this ever happened to you? What's the way that you could say something back that would make you feel strong in that moment? Um, I would just add to that, that, um, it can be really hard in the moment to say something about harassment when you experience it. I know for me, even as an adult, Mm -hmm. I experienced harassment and I felt like a deer in headlights. I did not know what to say. And I ended up not saying anything, even though I am, you know, a feminist who does this work for a living. So I think part of the key is teaching kids to be upstanders and to stand up for one another. Mm -hmm. Um, because in the moment, the the victim, the survivor herself may not feel empowered to speak, but somebody around her should say, wait, yes. don't do that. And hopefully, and not every incident happens in the presence of others, but a fair number of them do. And so if we talk with kids a lot about how they can stand up when they see something like this happen and what they could do and have them practice saying something and get comfortable with it, then maybe, you know, that would be another way to, to get at it. Yeah. I mean, just to reiterate that point, I, mean, I think that's really important because um, it really shouldn't be up to the targets of this to have to stop it. Um, but I think the more that peers can kind of police each other's behavior to be more um, kind to one another. Right. And it's important, I think, for, for people to know that you can be an upstander in a lot of different ways. You can say something right there in the moment, but you can also say something later. You could say something to the target later and say, look, I heard what was being said. And, you know, if you need any help, I'm here. You could also say something to the person who was you know, perpetrating the act and say, you know, later on when nobody else is around, you know, I, I heard what you said and I'm not okay with that. And I don't think anybody else is either. So there's, and then if you don't want to say something to anybody um, in, involved, you could always, you know, go to an adult and, and, or write a note anonymously. There's a lot of different ways to get at it without needing to, you know, make a broad uh, broadcast in front of everybody in the hallway. Right. And, you know, a lot of our research shows that any kind of support seeking seems to help girls cope. So, so even just talking to their friends, it seems to be really helpful in reducing some of the negative effects. So part of it is teaching girls that when this happens to you, this is not your fault. You should not be embarrassed or ashamed. Talk to someone about it. Um, I think part of it is that we know one of the reactions girls have is that they feel ashamed and embarrassed when these things happen to them. And so trying to reduce the stigma that this is not your fault and that we will believe you if you tell us something happens. And so to talk to other people about it, because that, that we know is helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we need adults to really start taking girls seriously when they come forward. We know in the example of the gymnasts um, who were abused by Dr. Nasser that some of them came forward and they're, they weren't taken seriously. We also know that in some playgrounds across the country, there are slap-ass Fridays where kids are 
slapping each other on the playground. Boys are slapping girls' behinds, and girls are running away in fear and hiding at recess because they don't want to be subjected to this. And teachers are out there on the playground and know it's happening and aren't doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to blame teachers. I think teachers need better tools. They need training and resources so that they can respond appropriately when these things happen. But a lot of this does play out at school. That's where students, where youth spend a good chunk of their time. And so whether inadvertently or not, messages, norms are being reinforced there. And um, we need to break that cycle as well. Important uh, information. You're absolutely right. I would like to get into talking about the boys because as we are discussing all of this, you know, we're, if we're giving tools to the girls, if we're talking to them about what to say back or listening to them and asking them what they feel they can say back, how they can be upstanders, I'd love to talk about what we should be saying to our boys. We've got a lot of parents of sons uh, who are listening in. We've got teachers who have boys and girls in their classes. So first, let's talk about how we can talk to the boys about sexual harassment and what scripts or conversation starters would you use with them to get this conversation going? Um, I think that part of it is talking to boys about really what sexual harassment even is mm. and that how, how are you talking to girls? Like how do you know, how do you and your friends talk to the girls at your school? What types of things do you say? I think a big part of the problem just culturally we have is when we talk about sexual harassment and assault is we have this vision of these sexual predators that stalk mm. the streets. And that's really who's doing these things when really it's perfectly nice boys that don't know how to enter interact with girls and are facing a lot of pressure from boys to sexually objectify girls, to be sexually aggressive and assertive in front of girls. Um, they get a lot of homophobic bullying, for example, called gay slurs if they're not engaging in some of these behaviors. So boys are facing a lot of pressure to be these sexually assertive kind of figures at school and so partly it's talking to boys about that kind of culture, about, our, you know, what kind of pressure are you getting to do this and how can they change the pressure they're putting on each other? Because it really is, per, you know, perfectly nice boys who are just also trying to get along through adolescence, too, but are doing this really damaging behavior because they don't really know any differently. And schools really don't ever say, hey, that's not cool, don't don't talk to girls that way. So if no one ever tells them it's inappropriate, then it's hard for us to blame them for just doing what they've been socialized to do all along. So it's really having those conversations for the first time with boys. And again, mm -hmm. early, this is a, these are conversations to have with 11 and 12 year old boys. And I think that can be uncomfortable for parents in schools, but we know that by the time they're 12, this is what's happening to girls. Mm -hmm. So it's having these conversations before, you know, having it with a 17, you know, conversations with 17 year old boys are important too, but they're slightly different. They really should be starting by fifth and sixth grade. Also, oh, sorry. I was just going to yeah, go ahead. But, um, Raising kids to really respect and value one another is something I don't think um, people are really mindful about. So chivalry is something that we often teach our boys to let girls, ladies first and um, open doors for girls, etc. And that's um, unfortunately sometimes sending boys the message that women are less powerful, women are less um you know, it can be demeaning to suggest that um, girls and women should be on a pedestal and treated with, with kid gloves, whereas teaching, instead of chivalry, teaching courtesy, which really encourages kids to be kind to all people and help one another and, you know, expect the same commitment and treatment from all people. That I think is, is a key. It's, it's a subtle difference, but it's something that we shouldn't underestimate uh, the power of it. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Yes. And we want to make sure that everybody is seen as equals. I think even in our own households, we can do this and we can do this as young ages. When I'm speaking on these topics, you know, to audiences and we're going over what we can be doing very early on, there's even conversations around like if your, you know, kids are tickling each other or roughhousing and one is saying enough, I like it, and the other one isn't listening, that's a time to talk about, you know, our bodies and, and making sure that we're respecting each other and respecting each other's space, respecting what the other person is saying. If you have somebody in your household that's making a comment about the other person's body, even if it's not in a sexual manner at all, that it's a time to say, you know, when you're saying these words about how short she is or, you know, how, what his face looks like or anything like that, that there's a person at the other end of this. Mm-hmm. And, and these are conversations we can have with kids when they're, you know, in preschool and in, in elementary school so that they're already used to the conversations about courtesy, like you were saying, Lara, and also about the body and um, respecting each other, each other's space, respecting each other's bodies, um, so that the conversations later on that you're suggesting, Christia, aren't coming out of left field at all. They they are very much a continuation, um, an age-appropriate continuation of the conversations that you had when they were younger. Wouldn't you agree with that? I do. I mean, I think that's the big issue with all of these topics is I think we think this is the one conversation I'm going to have, you know, kind of like the sex talk. I'm going to have this one conversation. Really, this is about treating each other as um, complex, unique individuals with feelings and hopes and fears and respecting everyone. I mean, and that is it's part of just moral development It's part of the con kindness conversations we I mean those conversations should start yeah when they're toddlers and it the ways in which it expresses itself changes over time but these are the you know daily weekly year in year out conversations you just have as parents that if you have the small ones as kids are being raised mm-hmm. um, then they come into adolescence with a really different way to think about one another um, and because and also part of it's realizing Cultural messages and media messages are really powerful and parents really need to be mindful of the power of it. And just like setting a good example is not going to be enough. You know, parents really have to know all of these messages are coming in. Can I give my kids tools to combat the messages about what they're supposed to be like um, and really talk to them about treating each other with respect from the very beginning? And I think as parents, you know, we're socialized too. So we, we unfortunately may unwittingly reinforce some of these messages that kids get from media, you know, by commenting all the time about how a little girl looks or what she's wearing or how pretty she is. We are sending the message that her main value lies in her body and how she looks. Um, and that, that can be very harmful message. Um, and boys hear that too. And so they get that message as well. Right. I, I also would love to find out about, you know, with this whole idea of this girls two movement, how is it that we are to include the boys who also may have experienced sexual harassment themselves? Is that part of the conversation that we need to put into play as well? It needs to be, and we are absolutely committed to that. Uh, We're calling the movement Girls Too. We are a girl-serving organization, and certainly we know that girls are disproportionately affected by this. But boys do experience sexual harassment and sexual violence. A lot of times, particularly LGBT boys, are targeted for this type of harassment or um, violence. And we want to give them a voice as well. And it's really going to take everyone working together to shift these norms and change the culture. So um, we want everybody to recognize what boys are experiencing and that the limiting messages that boys get can be very harmful to them as well. But we really all need to be part of the solution. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you would like this Girls 2 movement to go, Lara? What What do you hope happens and what would you like parents and kids to do to help ignite the movement like it has been done for Me Too? Well, the first step is to take the pledge on our website at girls2.girlsinc.org. There's a pledge where you recognize and acknowledge that we all have a role to play in addressing this and that there are things that we can do to change the culture and we're no longer going to put up with um, an attitude of this is just how it is, this is just part of growing up. So we're asking everybody to take an online pledge to share it widely and using that as a way to spark conversation about these issues. There are also resources on our website that people can access. Um, There are grouped by target audience. There are resources for youth, resources for parents, and resources for educators. We want parents to be able to start talking about these issues with their children. We want educators to start using their platform in the classroom to start addressing these issues. We want school systems to really give educators the tools to recognize their own biases, their own attitudes and beliefs about gender, and then really work with youth to ensure that they all respect and value one another. Until we get to a point where we're rejecting these stereotypes, where we're becoming more conscious of them and and no longer tolerating sexual harassment and violence as we know it, we're still going to see these patterns repeated over and over again. But we do think that we can create a culture of respect for today's girls, for generations to come, to really create a community where girls and all youth can grow up safe and respected and can learn and thrive and succeed free from sexual harassment and violence. Excellent. It's a very important movement. What would you say, Christia, would be some of your top tips the top things that you would hope parents can do with their kids right now um, with regard to girls too, with regard to talking to their kids about sexual harassment, give our audience some things that they can come away with and do right now, today, tonight, or over the, the, the next week. I think the very first thing is really starting the conversation to say, you know, I've heard about this happening in schools and describe, you know, I've heard about boys making comments about girls' body. I've heard about, you know, guys asking for certain kinds of pictures. I've heard about the cat calls. I've heard about being touched against, you know, when you don't want to be. Does that stuff happen at your school? Does that ever happen to you? What types of things could you say if that does happen? Um, and talking to boys too about, I've heard that this happens to girls. Does this sound like, does this sound familiar? The answer is going to be yes. Um, and even mm-hmm. if kids aren't comfortable saying yes right away, it's basically starting the conversation to say, I kind of know this is going on. And also to be very clear with girls to say, if this happens, come talk to me. I will believe you and I will take it seriously and we will figure out how you think it's best to cope with it. Um, I think helping girls know that no matter what happens, they'll be believed. I think we've learned really clearly um, that that's a real challenge. And to say, well, f- I'll figure out with you what we should do about it. Because I think sometimes girls don't talk to parents because they think, oh, they'll make a big scene about it, and I don't want that. So, again, the more we can give agency to girls, um, and that's a conversation that could happen today in the car on the way home, you know, um, just to Say, I heard this happens. Does this seem like it happens to you? And just heads up, if this happens, come talk to me and we'll figure out a plan. I think mm-hmm. that's the very first step. And then it's got to be checking in with them periodically to see how they're feeling, are these types of things going on. But I think we know it's easier for you to, t- for kids to talk about things that's happening to other people. So yes. sometimes that's a way to enter in the conversation of, have you ever seen other girls, you know, have you ever seen this type of thing happen? Um, is a way to somewhat in a non-threatening way start the conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. An important conversation starter. And certainly if you've heard that it happened in another school, the news is always a great way to to pivot a conversation as well, to start a conversation. Uh, for you, Lara, what what would you say is one of your best activities or um 
tips for parents that you've done with the girls themselves that have opened up discussion or have helped them to uh, have a different view of, of their role in, in conquering some of the sexual harassment or at least shutting it down a bit? I think just getting back to something that I think was said before is, is letting girls know they will be believed mm -hmm. and that they will have support if they choose to come forward and that that is their choice, but that they do not have to tolerate this. And I think, um, at Girls Inc., girls find a sisterhood of support that really does give them a safe space where they feel comfortable. And so maybe in some sense it's recreating that at home, making sure that girls know it's a safe space. They're not going to be blamed. They're not going to be punished. Um, and that this is – they're not alone. This is not – just something they're experiencing, but it's actually a societal problem and, you know, we need to tackle it together. In, in your programs, do you wind up doing some kind of uh, media literacy to kind of get at it? Do you talk, yes. use the news? Like what is it that, that helps open up when you're saying you do programs related to it? I'd love mm -hmm. to give the, the parents like some kind of tip that, that you guys use over there that might be something that they can do at home. Media literacy is a big part of Girls Inc. programming, and one of the activities is just going through magazines with girls and picking out the objectifying images so they start to realize the ways that these ads um, shape their views of themselves and boys' views of them as sexual objects, and that is that is a big I think aha moment for girls when they do this, this programming with us and then they really learn to be critical of media messages they get and critical of advertising. I think that's an important step um, in giving them a strong sense of self and, and realizing that they do not have to accept that. They can reject that and, and, you know, think of themselves as full human beings um, with lots of value that has nothing to do with how they look or how thin they are and, and how sex, sex, sexy they dress. Mm -hmm. It's important because, of course, that the more you look through them, and certainly when I'm doing my programming with um, at schools and things of that nature, that you know we talk about how girls have been, you know, hacked into pieces. You know, talking about not looking at the whole person at all. That, that you know what's advertised or what's put in an advertisement may be just you know, a leg or a breast or a stomach or a butt, you know, you, that's all you get. And the the more that girls can look at those critically, I agree with you, the more that they can, you know, have the ammunition to fight back and say, I am a whole person and there's more to me. So why don't you give us the resource of the week? Where should people go to learn more about Girls Inc. or more about Girls 2 and more about maybe your book, Christia, and the sort of background information? Well, I'll jump in and say for our campaign for Girls 2 and for um, learning more about Girls Inc., you can go to Girls 2, that's girlstoo.girlsinc.org. And um, our website where you can find out just about our pro uh, more about our programming is just girlsinc.org, but you can navigate there from, from the campaign website, and that's where you can take the pledge. Everyone who takes the pledge will get a set of customized steps that they can take. It's customized based on how you identify when you take the pledge. Are you a parent slash guardian? Are you an educator? Are you a youth, et cetera? And they'll get a set of steps that they can take to really try to implement this pledge and what they should commit to going forward. And there are other resources there about talking with youth about this, about how best to support a survivor that comes forward and shares an experience with you, about how to be a good upstander. Um, there's a glossary of terms um, so that we can all be on the same page when we're talking about these things because I think there's not a good level of understanding about what we're talking about. So that's where you can get a lot of information that I think will be very, very helpful. Excellent. And Christia, your book? 
Yeah, so I wrote a book called Parenting Beyond Pink and Blue, and that really is, you know, I think if you're a, a parent that's listening that has a small child and you're worried about what this, what the future holds for them, um, is really thinking about how to raise both boys and girls so that these types of stereotypical behaviors and dynamics don't harm them. I mean, that's really what that book is. So it describes gender development and gender stereotyping research, including the subjectification of girls and how boys bully and police one another to fit these norms. And what are some very concrete strategies parents can do to help protect their kids all through development so that by the time they're reaching adolescence, they have a little bit stronger armor to protect themselves when this stuff happens and also so that they're not perpetuating these types uh, maladaptive behaviors. Excellent. And I'm sure we can get that on Amazon or wherever books are right. sold, correct? Exactly. Excellent. Exactly. Well, thank you so much both to you, Lara, and to you, Christia, for your insights and your strategies, both hands-on and research-based. I, I really appreciate what you're doing with the Girls 2 movement, and I wish you the greatest success with it. I'll certainly be supporting it, and uh, and we'll be getting all the information out there as much as possible. I'm just really appreciative of both of you being on the show today. Thank you so much for having us. You are so welcome. Well, I've got my takeaways, and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com, twitter.com, slash drrobin, and I'm also on Instagram at drrobinsilverman. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so that everybody can learn about the outstanding solutions that are presented today and every single time we have our podcast so that they can use these solutions in their own homes, their own schools, their own gyms. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there over the last year and a half, and there's show notes up there for all these different podcasts, including the one from today. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when we fall short, We've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet, sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. You really are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. 